You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Tool Belt Podcast brought to you by Endeavor Business Media's Manufacturing Group. I'm Tom Welk, the Chief Editor on Plant Services, and today we're going to tackle a buzzword in the industry right now, and we're going to take a look at what it means in a practical sense for the world of operations, maintenance, and reliability. That term, of course, is artificial intelligence, or AI, and we are joined today by Kevin Clark, who is a longtime practitioner and uh, executive in this field. He currently works with Falconry as a strategist in AI and asset management, and he had a uh, long career in the maintenance and reliability world, especially uh, serving with Fluke for some time. Uh, So, Kevin, thank you so much for being here to talk through some AI topics with us today. It's good to be here, Tom. Maybe we can start. Um, For the few listeners who might not have run into you at conferences uh, in or your work with Fluke and Falconry, tell us a a little bit about the job you're working in right now and some of the projects you're working with. So I came on board with uh, with Falconry. I, I spent uh, a number of years with with Fortive, with Fluke, and, and Accruent, and, and uh, spent most of that time on the strategy side and, and uh, product management, product marketing, um, and taking those products to the market and, and finding good, useful places for them, right, and, and making them as yeah. practical as we possibly could. So I've had a relationship with, with Falconry and uh, Fortive um, had invested in Falconry about eight years ago. And I was a point of contact with Falconry um, through those years. And we'd done, we'd done panel sessions together. We'd done product collaboration together. We'd done um, the what ifs of AI inside of our products at Fluke or Accruance. And so we'd, we'd done a lot of things back and forth. And more recently, uh, Nakunj, Meta, the, the founder of, of Falconry, had come back to me and asked me if I was finally ready to come over to Falconry and get back in the startup space. And, and uh, of course, it sounded intriguing. And, and the longer we talked, the more it made sense. And so I've come over, I've taken over uh, AI deployments, uh, the customer support, um, working on some of the innovations with our customers. Um, and I also, um, lead the the marketing group, and there's a there's a big tie between customer success and marketing, and um, and organizations, and how they present themselves to the market, and then at the same time how they perform with their customers day in and day out. Well, and thank you for covering both those sides of your current position because I think you're really well positioned to talk about the practical applications of technology that you see in the field, while also understanding the wider industry roadmap. For these technologies and uh, you and i cut up about a week ago now from at the reliable plant show and figured it was time for us to talk about what it looks like in industry right now how companies are applying artificial intelligence since that's ever since chat gpt came along you can't you can't get away from ai right now in the news in in discussions and you know chat gpt is one of those one of those um once in a million kind of opportunities it's a, it's for us, it's a love hate relationship. We love the fact that they gave AI the exposure to the, uh, um, the more common, uh, population where 
they they really didn't know much about AI, but ChatGPT introduced it to them and got them right into the middle of it, right? And so they mm-hmm. now they understand the the power of AI. They understand the power of what's been underneath of the internet for decades now. And so once they understood that, they now they're talking to falconry and and trying to understand well how does it work and they're much more knowledgeable today than they were just six months ago, right? So they're asking harder questions. They're asking more interesting questions. But the problem is, is in many cases, their expectations are super inflated, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, so bringing that back down to a more practical level, that's been kind of hard um, to help them understand, you know, what does it mean inside of an asset management world? And what do we actually do with with the technology inside of asset management? So. It's while it's been great that ChatGPT brought so much exposure to AI, it's also been a bit challenging to to uh, calm calm the waters. That's an excellent point in that that ChatGPT as generative AI is good for certain applications, but we're not really talking about that flavor of AI when it comes to what's happening in August 2023 in asset management. And that was my first question for you was when you think through how you're seeing artificial intelligence applied to asset management right now, process monitoring. What are the one, two, three things, the uh, challenges, problems uh, that you see AI helping plants solve right now in August, 2023? Hmm. I don't know if I'll do a list. Maybe I'll do a list. We'll see how this this works out if I can <laughs> okay. structure it into the list. Um, you know, some of the things that I, I see out there, Tom, are, are things that that um, that we've taken for granted over the years. Right. So I personally have been in predictive for a long time Um, and I've and I can claim it. And a lot of the people that might hear this would would probably say, yeah, Kevin did fail at that. But but, you know, that's been the challenge over the last 20 and 30 years is how do we take RCM and TPM and, and those really sound methodologies that we utilize inside of asset management? How do we turn that into something digital? And. And we have done a number of things that that um, have made it better in the predictive maintenance world, mm-hmm. but we've also done a lot of things that that separated us. So when one of the biggest challenges we have today is that our operations data is separate from our predictive data, and I see it everywhere I go, everywhere. That we've done that because we've we separated it because the technologies were somewhat separate, the the business units were somewhat separate but we didn't want to mix it in with the the rules and regulations of operational data matter of fact operational data really didn't want our asset data our condition data inside of their uh mes systems and process monitoring systems so the separation made sense um because of evolution but what doesn't make sense is that data is as important to operations as operations data is to asset data and so what we've been advocating for is that we begin to bring that operations data together with uh, predictive data. And so we, we tend to look at data that's continuous, um, and that's mostly your operations data. Some of that continuous data is, is your predictive data. Um, might be um, coming directly from sensors where it might be temperature, it might be vibration, it could be, could be some, um, uh, ultrasound or something like that, you know, just the the type of information, but sometimes it's just a moment, 
right? Like maybe it's a vibration test, but it is time series. And so you know the time of it and you know what the, the result was. And if you take that and you drop it right into the middle of continuous process data, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've seen it before, but when you see those signals come together and you see the performance and then you see where the failures are in the, in the AI data, and then you also see the, the, the predictive data coming in that's, that's showing a very similar um, response to that potential failure, it gets, it gets really interesting. But if I just have operational data, it's, it's good. If I have operational and predictive data, it's awesome. Interesting. So if I hear you right, what we're looking at is quicker anomaly detection or quicker anomaly verification. I would go with detection. Obviously, uh, verification is important, but but um, I would go with anomaly detection, which is what we we uh, uh, we call it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, anomaly detection is is to me way more interesting than predictive data. Anomaly detection leads me to predictive faster and more accurately than what I would get from a single test from a vibration sensor. Um, it's like it's like I only check my heartbeat once in a while mm -hmm. versus I check my heartbeat all the time. I'm connected all the time. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, right? So if I've got if I'm able to monitor through AI, which is learning what normal looks like, mm -hmm. um, it's always watching for normal. And so when it sees normal, it gives you a nice color chart, uh, heat map that 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 makes you feel good, right? When it sees things that are abnormal, it raises the flag, right? And you see the different colors inside of that heat map and, and those colors indicate that something is off. Matter of fact, it might not lead to a failure, but something's different. We need to understand what that difference is. We don't always get that in predictive data because we put a sensor here, we put a sensor over there, we take pictures every now and then, maybe we take some vibration tests and, and it's, it's a little bit of luck, right? That we're gonna hit just the right time. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big advocate for getting that predictive data that we've got plus that operational data that's, that's monitoring always and let the AI decide if we're starting to move into something that looks different or um, I like to use the word abnormal, not necessarily unusual, but sometimes it's unusual. Okay. And where would you put this ability to parse that much data on the maturity curve for the technology? I know ChatGPT brought AI into the popular consciousness. Are we looking at technologies here that have been able to do this for the past, say, 18 months, for the past three to four years? Or are we looking at some innovations on the monitoring and anomaly detection side? Yes, uh, innovations. Um, so anomaly detection has been around for a long time. So has so has uh, pattern recognition mm -hmm. uh, and building models and, and things of that sort. But but uh, anomaly detection has had some innovations that have allowed it to um, really move quickly. And most of that has more to do with building the right user interfaces, building the right reporting mechanisms, the right notification mm -hmm. mechanisms to um, really understand what's important. Now, one of the things one of the things that's that's really, I think, creative that's coming mm -hmm. is is taking anomaly detections and being able to think about them through the idea of a criticality assessment and a FAMICA, 
Mm. So, you know, and we're most of us that are in the reliability side of the business understand that terminology and and it's the, kind of the, the core of what we do inside of a inside of a, uh, a, a facility that deploys RCM and TPM and but it's a very hands on matter of fact, it's even got some gut feeling kind of uh, data inside of it. Right. And so. But what we're seeing with anomaly detection is that we can make an association between what we identify in, inside of our Famica and also understanding the, the criticality of a particular asset all the way down to the subcomponents. The signals coming in are actually extensions of, of a Famica. Okay. And so we can clearly identify the signals that are associated back to a particular failure mode. Um, it starts to bring to life anomaly detection. So it's not only coming back and telling you I'm beginning to fail in this particular area of the asset. It's also going to tell you what the failure could be, mm. right? So maybe there's three signals that are that are showing uh, a yellow, basically. And of those three signals, that usually means something, and we can label that. That's what I that's what I really like about the technology that's coming along is it's starting to look and sound like how the reliability that we're used to speaking to. Okay. Well, that leads to my next question. When it comes to the plants that you work with to deploy these solutions, uh, I'm always curious about <clears throat> which roles are in the best position to drive these projects. I, I've heard, for example, maintenance is mm. tied up doing very task oriented work mm -hmm. um it will do work if the project is approved by a champion so that leaves maybe the director of operations director of reliability yeah. or the reliability engineer to drive these things even if those roles don't have prior experience with ai is that your experience too that it falls really in operations reliability to educate yeah. themselves and push this forward yeah absolutely it, it does um the argument i'm making right now with 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 a lot of organizations and inside of my own organization um, as we as we watch the culture begin to shift towards a data driven culture, mm -hmm. but if you go into most organizations, there's not there's not a role that has in their job description that they can take two or three hours a day and go and analyze anomalies. Mm -hmm. Right? Nobody has that in their job description, and so whenever we bring AI into a plant, a lot of excitement around it. Um, yeah. They want to be able to see all that data, but once that data is there and and ready for them to analyze, ready for them to maybe act on, um, most organizations aren't necessarily prepared for that. Hmm. And it's a, it's a challenge. And But it's interesting watching organizations get prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a challenge every single time. But it's it's that transformation of of moving from okay, I got some data. I I generally make some decisions off this data or my CMMS data or my you know my data out of my ERP. I make decisions off of that data. But when AI comes in and it says this is live data, this is what's happening right now on your asset. It's beginning to fail or it's showing some abnormal signs. Mm -hmm. Most organizations aren't prepared for that act, and mm. and we're seeing it over and over. And but 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 the cool thing is you're all also watching 
um, organizations make the shift painfully sometimes, but they're making the shift because the, the data is so interesting and so telling about how they're moving towards uh, an optimal run or maybe not so optimal run. Interesting. Now, I, I find your comment about people being unprepared for that moment really fascinating. Um, is this a case where it's that the processes themselves might not be structured to respond to this kind of data? Is it a uh, more uh, a reactive culture being turned into a more proactive culture, a little, a little bit of a mix? It's a mix. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's a mix. Uh, yeah. You can go into some pretty mature facilities and still get a very reactive response to AI telling them that their that their process is going south, right? Okay. And so that's that's a that's a pretty telling moment, um, even when you walk into that mature um, facility that that uh, um, that it's either telling them something that they probably already knew, mm -hmm. but they can never prove it, never confirm it. Um, or it's telling them something completely new and they have no idea why that's happening. Huh. And, and so it's a, it's a vast range of, of responses from people because, you know, the one thing I'd want if, if AI was coming into my plant, I'd want it to confirm all the opinions that I have, right? <laughs> Which is generally a lot of opinions. And I think that's what most maintenance techs think when they bring AI in is this going to just prove that I was right. Sure. Well, often it does, but there's also many times that it proves them wrong, and and that's an interesting that's an interesting challenge in and of itself is is when we're our assumptions are proven wrong because the data doesn't back it up, and then you get the opportunity to go dig in and figure out okay, I was half right, but but uh, but this extra piece of information made it a really interesting analysis and that can be a tough moment for anyone i mean I, I would hate it if i saw google analytics one day and it told me i was half right about the kind of content that we're developing out yeah, <laughs> for the world right but the, then you got to get over your ego and and be nimble enough to shift over and act on that data right the other thing too is is um you know ai doesn't know truth so that's i think that's that's a point that everybody needs to understand is ai only knows what you feed it Mm -hmm. AI only understands what normally happens. And so it's looking for the things that are different, but it can't tell you that the different thing is truth or not. It, it just can't do that. It can tell you that something is actually happening, but mm -hmm. often it can't tell you if it's true. Okay. That makes sense? It does. It does. I, I was going to ask for a final question about a customer case study story that you can think of. Uh, let me preface that by saying years ago we did a, a case study article with um, Falconry with uh, an ore refinery in Wyoming where they were having trouble finding out why certain parts of the crushing process were shutting down. Um, it turned mm -hmm. out that there was a moment in the crushing and sifting process where it wasn't sifting the particles out finely enough. And some of Falconry's algorithms successfully overlaid time series data on top of the operational data to figure out what that problem was. Um, it, it saved them a lot of downtime. They, they figured out what either, to, I, I don't think it was sort of, it was belt tightening, but it was, it was making sure that the ore was moving through the sifting process efficiently enough. Mm -hmm. What are, what, what's one or two examples that you've run into where AI has, 
either solved a problem like that or pointed out something that a plant hadn't seen and they they had a sort of an aha course correction moment so we've had i'll give you a couple of them and, and this is the ones i i like to refer to because you know I'm a, I'm a reliability engineer at heart but i'm also manufacturing guy from many moons ago and so you know one of the things i love is is not just the fact that we can identify um when an asset has something going on that we can't explain mm -hmm. right and it might lead to a failure and it might not it might lead to a delay it might lead to some other things and and one of those other things is quality and so we've seen it over and over it's difficult to capture you have to have the right data that's that's a that's a key point here right so if you're if you're monitoring a process and you have x amount of data but you really needed x and y data to to do a full monitoring of it um mm -hmm. the x data will give you enough but maybe the x and y would give you all of it to to really be able to to make some judgment calls based on what AI is seeing, what it's learning, what it's what it's uh, identifying as an anomaly. But quality is one of those that if you have the right data, you can not only identify whether the process is running optimally or not, but based on what it's what it's learned and what it's seen, at the end of it, it can tell you whether it's a good product or not. Okay. I think that's been that's been the most telling for some of our clients that it was kind of an unexpected gain was to not only understand whether my asset's gonna fail or not, but also to understand if my product is good or not, right? So it's an added benefit. Interesting, were those cases in pharma specifically or food or, or sort of no, across the board? Metals, metals industry. Yeah. Metals, sure. Yeah, so I mean, once you once the AI learns the process, and again, this is dependent upon whether you've got enough data coming in. But once it learns the process and it identifies what is a good run for um, the product, it can also help identify whether it was a good product at the other end. And so I think that's been one of the one of the uh, most interesting things for me is to to see not only performance but quality. That's fascinating. Again, this reminds me of a case study that was given uh, for a mine out west where they had put vibration sensors on their fleet of caterpillar ore haulers in mm -hmm. order to identify how well the machines were performing. Turns out that once they had uh, tightened down the machines and got them to perform optimally, the sensors were picking up not flaws in the machines, but flaws in the road leading from outside the mine. And the bigger savings was the secondary benefit of filling the potholes in the road that the sensors were picking up. So as right. you just said, you wanna find the, the, the fault in the asset, but also the, the surprise benefit, the extra benefit is improved quality, better batch control. And, yeah. and, and, and in this case, the, the mine operator said that they, they say had more savings from um, increasing throughput than they did um, that reducing the capital expense of the, of the, of the ore haulers. Yeah. And the other side of that, Tom, is if you if you are able to input the types of materials, the batch batches of materials that are going through, mm -hmm. your AI will be even that much smarter because it'll be able to then to go back and associate a good run with the actual material numbers themselves. 
Mm. So when you think of recalls and, and other things, especially in the life sciences industry, like the like the orthopedics or the biomeds of some type, that to be able to say that that rant run went through and I can now identify all those components and we could do it the hard way uh, before mm -hmm. we, we could do it with the data that was there. It was just super hard, but there's no learning there. You'd have to just go do a, a query. Mm -hmm. But the learning is would begin to tell you what materials perform better than other materials, which yeah. materials are causing more uh, process problems. Um, and that association and that learning that AI is doing doesn't go away. It just gets better and better. So that's the thing about anomaly detection is the longer it runs, the more it learns, the more data that's flowing through. Um, the number of anomalies tends to get smaller because now it's the anomalies are really the ones that are the, the problem causers, the, the, the things that you need to pay attention to. When they first turn it on, you can see hundreds, possibly thousands of anomalies a day until you get it tamed down. It's learned. It understands it. it you know, it's, it's got feedback. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, then you start the anomalies. You better be paying attention because they're real. Interesting. And then, as, as you said, be open to the fact that you're only half right and then take action to fix the other half. Right. Yeah. right. And that, that's a hard for, thing for all of us, especially those of us that have you know, been around for 30 plus. You know, you know, we think we've, we've been there and done that and, and uh, we have a pretty good grip on it. But AI, AI will teach you some things. Um, but you also need the thing you need to really understand about AI is you need to teach AI. Okay. Because AI can be very biased. So if your data is bad, your AI is going to probably be bad. As you said, AI does not know truth. It does not know truth, right? It only knows what you teach it, especially generative AI. That's that's the way it works is whatever you teach it, that's what it knows. Okay. That is its truth. Uh, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. That's its truth because that's what you taught it. Well, I think we post this podcast, Kevin, I'm going to find a picture from the We Are the World sessions from the 80s where Quincy Jones had a big sign saying, leave your ego at the door. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And really, that's what you need to do. If you, if you want to build an AI system that that works and works well, you need to be able to teach it um, things that that um, that are relevant and things that are helpful. Terrific. Well, we're at about time for today's session, Kevin. Let's not. Uh, wait too long to reconnect because uh, I'd love to catch up with you a little bit later this year on what's coming for 2024. Um, I know there's there's lots of flavors of AI that plants can take advantage of and that we, but I thank you for helping to demystify some of this for our asset management audience today and talk about some of the practical applications. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Tom. <laughs>